Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Hello, Titani nerds. Uh, it is eight o'clock on an evening on uh, Monday, the 16th of January at the moment. And I'm recording again. I've got a guest again this time. Um, not, not a titanium nerd, actually. This is a, a gentleman that no. I've, worked, I've worked with before. Um, and a lot of you may know him already. He is, um, he's a whiz with intravenous sedation. Uh, I'm speaking to Rob Endicott today. And Rob has set up a uh, roaming sedation business. Rob, just remind me the name of, of your services again. It's UK Sedation. UK Sedation. We have yeah. used Rob at our practices, um, and Rob has trained me on one of the newer sedation drugs, which we will come on to momentarily. Uh, Rob is experienced, he gets great results, and he's here to share uh, his experiences and kind of like how sedation fits in with dental implants. Because as those of you who are listening can appreciate, when you're seeing anxious patients and you are screaming bolts into their head, uh, sedation really helps. It really, really does. So Rob, yeah. if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll get the conversation underway if that's right. Yeah, so I've been a qualified dentist now for almost 25 years. Um, but uh, when I got to year 20, I hung up my drill completely. Um, I was getting called to so many different practices <clears throat> to come and help uh, sedate their patients. Um, and my wife said, well, I don't, I don't need your income, so go and do whatever you fancy doing. And I'd always had this dream that I'd like to be on the road and go and visit lots of practices um, and, uh, and, and work in different teams. Um, and that's been so rewarding over the last sort of five years. Um, so when I hung up my drill, I started working in a couple of practices uh, in sort of Cheltenham and Bristol um, and gradually built it up. And then lockdown kicked in um and had about three months off which actually wasn't too drastic um and during lockdown um my business coach kevin rose said to me well what do you what do you fancy doing in this time and i said well i'll probably just hang on to the practices and make sure they know that i still exist so that when lockdown's over i can then go back and work for them because presumably after lockdown things are going to be slow and it's going to take a while to kick back in how wrong I was about that um and uh and, and he said well actually no now is the time to expand because there's going to be uh, quite a few dentists out there who are um a bit disgruntled and um and, and worried about their future and maybe want to take more control over their future um so we changed from being just me at Midland Sedation and we made it nationwide into UK Sedation um and took on my first colleague in london who is full-time working with uk sedation um and now there are 13 of us um two and a half years later so um we're all getting super busy and busier and busier um and we're still taking on a few extra people but we now cover anywhere from um cornwall up to newcastle um and then for bigger cases some of us will quite have to travel up to scotland and northern ireland as well um so uh we do get about a fair amount um and I've got to admit, it's it's a very different life to how things used to be um, 
when I was stuck in the same surgery, you know, even running my own practice, which is an incredibly stressful thing to do, as you probably would agree, Pav. Um, um, So, um, yeah, it's it's hard work having such a big team, but... um, you know, I, I don't employ anybody, which is quite quite a blessing, and I don't have a premises apart from the office that I'm in. I'm in now. Um, so, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we're having we're having a lot of fun. Um, what we have noticed um, is the, the 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 sort of huge surge in uh, full arch. Uh, treatments, full arch implant treatments for patients. Um, and that's one of the things that I enjoy the most these days is sitting in a room for four or five hours uh, and sedating people for um, for full arch implant work, um, sometimes dual arch. Um, I was working in one of your practices actually last week um, doing some uh, sedating for zygoma implants, um, which is uh, fascinating stuff. Um, and I used to place simple implants myself back in the day, but seeing what people are doing out there, you know, it's absolutely mind blowing. It's fun stuff, um, isn't it? The, the, oh, it is. It is incredible. And 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 for me, you know, I, I quite often when I when I sedate these patients, I'll quite often contact the surgeon afterwards and say, "Oh, send me a cheeky photograph of what the patient looks like afterwards," because the transformation for these people is absolutely stunning. Mm. Um, it's staggering stuff. You know, completely and utterly life changing. For, for, for people um you know and they, they might not appreciate it necessarily at the end of the day but um you know once everything's settled down it's 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 it's, it's beautiful so yeah I'm, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of that and that seems to be my my thing these days is is sedating for for long treatments um you know when we're when we're trained to do sedation it tends to be those short sessions of taking a tooth out or a couple of quick fillings or even some root canal but um yeah it's those sort of three four five hour cases that i find absolutely incredibly rewarding um so yeah so that's that's kind of what i'm doing now really um recently got involved with the association of dental anesthetists as well so um i'm the vice chair of the ada so we are um getting more into um uh, getting more dentist members um we've got a great team of uh, medical anesthetists and actually getting the two groups together the dental sedationists and the the medic sedationists you know, it's amazing what we can learn from each other um it's been incredibly rewarding so um we've got all sorts of events and forums planned over the next year so that's going to be jolly exciting too fantastic um, so a couple of words I would say is firstly, Rob, the cases that we've done together have just been fantastic. They've been super, super smooth. I mean, we've, we even saw a patient a few months ago where you, ha- you had to induce the sedation in the waiting room. Um, and mm. uh, because the, the patient was that petrified, he was like, I'm not going to get into the chair otherwise. Um, yeah. he, he doesn't remember any of the procedure. I think that was an upper and lower arch took what, two and a half hours, something like that. Two, two hours. Yeah. Hours. He doesn't remember yeah. a single bit of it. And I think that is, uh, that is down to the, uh, drugs that you use, which will come on to, uh, which will come on to a little bit later. I think I want to mm-hmm. wind back just a little bit, Rob, because there's one thing that you said earlier and I want to pick up on that. You said that you thought it was going to be a quiet restart after lockdown and that wasn't the case at all. No. Um, one thing I think is really, really important is whilst we end up focusing very much on building our surgical skills, sedation goes hand in hand with implants just because it's a it, it's a 
it's an invasive procedure. Mm. I was actually quite surprised at the number of patients who wanted to have sedation, even with, with, with single implants. And I think yeah. it comes down to assessing the patient appropriately and giving them all of the treatment options. And I'm a great believer that, you know, if you can't sedate, then you should look at getting a sedationist in. Or if you, even if you can sedate, but you've got a really difficult patient, either in terms of medical history, get, again, to get somebody else in to take that over for you. So would you mind just spending a few minutes going over the best ways that we as uh, implant surgeons should be assessing these patients and making the decision as to whether they are suitable for sedation or not? Because I know that, that, that there are a few... Um, uh, like indicator type matrices out there. So would you just mind going over your thoughts on that, please? Yeah, yeah. So um, there is a thing called the index of sedation need, which combines their um, their level of anxiety with the complexity of treatment. So we, in sedation world, we use uh, a thing called the MDAS score, which is a score out of 25. It's a, a questionnaire that patients fill in that a lot of people will be familiar with. Um, and then we get a rough idea of their level of anxiety. Um, it's very, very subjective um, because some people just say, I'm totally scared and just mark everything. Um, and in fact, sometimes people who mark down as being really, really anxious are often the easiest to treat because um, their expectations are so low that when you've actually just popped in a little bit of sedative and they start to relax down, um, they think, oh, actually, I can I can do this. You know, the biggest challenge for patients is actually quite often just making the phone call um, or getting in the door of the practice or getting in the chair. You know, once they've done that and they realize that they, they, they've actually taken control of their health and they're doing something about it, that's such a huge challenge for people. Um, what I would say is that um, the Adult Dental Health Survey, uh, which was over a decade ago now, which showed that about 40% of adults in the UK have a mild, uh, sorry, have a moderate to severe dental anxiety. So there are an awful lot of patients who will be presenting for implant work, especially for full arch stuff, um, whose um, oral health has suffered through neglect, which is often tied in with anxiety as well, um, that they've not taken control at an early stage and let things get terminal to the point where they need to have everything out and have you know, a full set of implants in. Um, so that's, for me, one of the reasons why sedation ties in really really well with with big implant treatment um because patients have often got to that state because because of their fears in in the first place going back to the index of sedation needs so you've got the mdas um uh, anxiety scale but you've also got the complexity of treatment and actually if the complexity of treatment is pretty high so, for example, doing a full arch implant treatment or pterygoids or zygomatics and sinus lifts and bone grafting, that tends to take the complexity of treatment up and gives the patient quite a high score in their index of sedation need. Their actual level of anxiety doesn't necessarily have to be that high. They've still got a very, very high score. Um, some patients will come in that, that we'll see who are coming in for a single simple implant. So the the... the complexity of treatment is quite low, um, but they might be incredibly anxious. And the combination of those two scores will then push it up quite high. An awful lot of people who are going to be healthy enough to have, say, full arch implant treatment are going to be suitable for sedation, if that makes sense. 
Um, and I always think that what you guys are doing your end medically is is possibly a lot more um, complicated and um, can have a bigger effect on the patient than, than what I'm doing, which is fairly simple relaxation in a sense. So there aren't that many people who are not suitable. Um, what we tend to do is when we assess patients, we use the American Society of Anesthesiology um, chart, the ASA chart, where you've got ASA1, which is a completely healthy patient, non-smoking, absolutely fantastic. You've got an ASA2, which is a patient with uh, maybe a chronic mild condition that doesn't have any sort of functional limitations on their on their everyday life. Um, those are the categories that we tend to like to sedate for. Um, ASA3 patients are patients who have a serious illness. They might be um, uh, type 1 diabetic. They might have severe asthma. Those are the patients we try and veer away from. But patients with uncontrolled diabetes, are we going to be really wanting to put complicated implant work in for them? Um, so it is actually quite rare for um, when, when I'm coming in to sedate, that the patient is, is unsuitable. Um, one of the big ones that we find is BMI. Yes. Um, if the patient is very, very large, that has all sorts of medical implications and, and airway indications for us. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you've got diabetes linked in with that as well. So we're very, very careful to treat, only to treat patients with a BMI of under 40, um, some centres, some hospital centres, will only treat a patient if they're under 35. Um, so, but 40 is the kind of the really upper limit. Um, the patients with uncontrolled hypertension, you know, that's going to be risky for us. So, you know, we'll want to make sure their blood pressure is is all fine. It's going to be high, obviously, but we're going to make sure that it's okay um, <clears throat> before we actually sedate them. Um, so, the vast majority of time, once we've done our pre-op assessment. Um, which we tend to do remotely, face to face on Zoom or FaceTime with the patient. Um, you know, most of the time, once we've got their medical history, um, we can then decide if it is actually uh, suitable or not. But if the patient, as I said, is coming in for that kind of complex surgery, chances are they are not going to be desperately unwell in the first place. It's a simplification, but that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. So just to clarify for those listening, uh, I mean, that, that was great. And it's, it's, it's the same principles that I apply, it's kind of like what, what I've been taught as well, is even if you don't do sedation, if you kind of like want to start assessing how many potential patients are in your practice, not, not just implant practice, like general practice as well, who may benefit from sedation, get a copy of the MDAS score, give it to the patient and look at the, uh, mm. uh, and, and, and start calculating what's called the IOSN, the indicator of sedation need. And you'd be yeah. surprised, uh, as Rob was saying, you get a lot of patients where it's, you know, they're like borderline anxious, but because of what you're doing, it, it pushes the it pushes their complexity level up. And those yeah. patients are the one who are the ones who can really struggle during uh, a surgery, uh, because yeah. often they'll come in pretending they're not anxious, whereas internally they are. And then during the during the procedure, they just become more and more anxious, and, and compliance really really drops. So it is a yeah. useful tool, even if you even if you don't offer sedation in order to weed out the patients who are absolutely petrified and really do need sedation. And it will also give you a little bit of an indicator kind of which one is all those borderline patients. And, and overall, I think it's a, it's a very, very useful tool. But obviously, again, yeah. it is a tool. It's not a clear cut. This is what needs to be done. 
Um, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. From a, from a, if I can just say as well, from a, um, if I'm allowed to say, from a practice building point of view, um, I, I wanted to give you an example of a practice um, that I started working at in Cheltenham about four, four years ago, four and a half years ago. Um, so the the surgeon uh, highlighted a couple of patients who he thought would be. Uh, would benefit from having sedation um and i was going there once every sort of two months or so uh to sedate for his for his implant treatment the more i went and the more that the dentist realized that actually the patients were enjoying it and they were actually then telling their friends and family and we could see uh, i was getting more and more bookings in for sedation and we could see that that patient booked in next week was actually related or a friend of the patient we saw last year um, so those word of mouth referrals started coming uh, quite quite thickly. Um, but what we found was that um, the, the dentist was actually slightly changing their mindset. They realized that they were doing fairly complex stuff. And they were saying to patients as part of their uh, consultation process, they were saying, um, well, we can offer you sedation if you would like to make the, the procedure a lot easier. And he was staggered by how many people would actually say, uh, yes. That would be lovely. I'm not particularly looking forward to it. So if you can make it easy for me, um, I would very much appreciate that. You know, and and a lot of the treatment for patients is going to be forgettable when you sedate them. And to actually say that to people, you know, you're not going to remember a great deal. You might remember a few things, but you know, it's going to fly by. You know, um, I've got a, a patient in tomorrow for I think six hours. You know, and we can say to the patient, it is going to absolutely fly by. You're not going to feel like you've been in the chair for six hours. Um, so simply by offering it to people, um, he was then getting more and more uptake on his implant treatment plans and then getting these knock-on uh, word-of-mouth referrals. And this is a guy who does zero advertising. Yeah. You know, he has no real social media presence. You know, it's just him working in his little practice, beavering away, and he is solidly, consistently. And, you know, um, one of us is there most days of the week now, yeah. um, purely because he's in that habit of offering um, sedation to his patients and these patients may not necessarily be super super anxious sedation isn't reserved for the unbelievably scared phobic patients um, you know it is something that is available for for anybody and to be perfectly honest I'm quite a good patient um, but if I was going to have an all-on-four um, treatment or, or similar I would opt I would ask for sedation for that myself because yeah. I don't want to be stuck in the chair for three or four hours and have to go through that um i want it to be easier so yeah so from a practice building point of view you know it is a it is a tremendous tool <coughs> that we can offer people and we're finding that through loads and loads of our practices bristol for example i was there today um you know there's normally one of us there per day some days there's actually both of us there in a sort of a specialist practice doing implants wisdom teeth you know it's um it snowballs it's, it really is an incredible practice builder, um, uh, not only in terms of word of mouth, but in, in terms of the in terms of the business as well, because you charge for the sedation, but because you, the procedure takes longer, you normally have to increase the fees to reflect that as well. So it, it really can, it really is a, 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 a massive, massive practice builder. And as I said, what it does is it, it, brings, it just brings down one of the major hurdles for, um, uh, for treatment, actually. And uh, mm. so it's absolutely fantastic. And I think patients as well love the fact that there is somebody there dedicated yes. to um, looking after their anxiety and keeping them yeah. calm and, and not worrying about the dentistry. You know, they're just there to make their lives better. Yeah. Um, and that's generally the feedback that we get from people. 
you know, that the whole team was lovely and everyone looked after me and was fantastic because you've got a dedicated person there doing that. Yeah. That's what, that's what we enjoy. Yeah. Rob, there's a few other bits that I wanted to cover with you, if that's all right. Um, the first one is I get a lot of listeners from America, Canada, Australia, and places like that. One of the things that I've noticed when speaking to them is the level of sedation that they offer. Firstly, they generally offer polypharmacology. And secondly, mm-hmm. it's much closer to general anesthesia than, 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 than what we term conscious sedation. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like, what's the best way for, for me to ask this? I guess what I'm get I guess what I'm getting to is firstly why do you think that difference exists uh, is it just the well they're kind of like allowed to do that over there and if we were to do it here uh, we probably would uh, secondly even when people sedate much more heavily with, uh, with with heavier medications and polypharmacology is it is it really necessary is it required and then last the last point that I'd like to cover with yourself as well is obviously Historically, we've used um, uh, midazolam for sedation. If you could go over the pros and cons of that, but obviously, was was it in December? I came to your course. It was December, wasn't it, or October? Uh, no, November. Uh, no, uh, yeah, November. October. That's, yeah, and that yeah. introduced me to the new drug, remimazolam. So, obviously, if you could go mm. over kind of like the pros and cons of that and, and compare the two, that would be much appreciated. Yeah. Okay. Um, so polypharmacy in this country with sedation is, is quite a controversial topic. Um, generally, um, I might get into trouble for saying this, but generally a lot of our medical anesthetist colleagues um, going into dental practices like to use polypharmacy. It's what they're used to. They're used to doing um, fentanyl and midazolam and propofol. Um, propofol is an extremely uh, useful sedative, um, but it, it does ch- tend to generally be reserved for um, uh, primary care, se- uh, sorry, secondary care settings. Um, we in this country we have quite um, tight standards, um, not guidelines, but actual standards um, which we have to adhere to, which basically say um, midazolam first. Um, keep it simple, keep it as safe as possible. And midazolam has such a, a well-known reputation over the last 40 years for, for having a, an incredibly wide margin of safety. You know, it's an incredibly useful drug um, and and extremely suitable for primary care. You know, you're so unlikely to get problems with it. Um, but there are still in this country an awful lot of procedures being carried out um, with polypharmacy. And I think you can – there's lots of arguments, uh, pros and cons, and, and I know that the medical, my medical uh, anesthetist colleagues have got some cracking safety data on, on the, the polypharmacy techniques that they use, especially with the use of propofol. Um, but really, there is no training pathway for dentists to be doing um, more advanced sedation opiates and and, uh, and, and propofol um, in practice. So that's kind of dying out for the dentist, but the medical anesthetists are still using it. But we have got to be a little bit careful that we are totally justifying what we're using. Um, and if we're straying away from the standards, we need to be able to say, why we're doing it now a lot of my colleagues will say well for big implant treatments um you know uh, over a long period of time then propofol is fantastic because it's it's quick in quick out you can put someone on a pump you can keep them at a nice sort of stable level throughout the whole thing um but we all know that the margin of safety with drugs like that is a lot narrower 
Um, you know, we've all heard of the Michael Jackson case, you know, a recreational almost propofol. Um, it hasn't got a particularly good reputation because of that. Um, but it is a drug that is used every single day throughout the world. The UK certainly has, I think, some of the tightest standards when it comes to dental sedation, because we were trying to get away, I think, from when, when the Pozwiller report came out in the 90s, trying to get away from as much as possible from a general anesthetic. You know, that was totally outlawed. And yet, when you're doing really deep sedation, you know, and sedation is a continuum from from mild anxiety to conscious sedation to deep sedation to general anesthetic. You know, if you push hard enough, you will get to the state of general anesthetic. So, and that's much more possible with um, with multi drug sedation. Um, so, you know, you do hear of cases where you know the depth of sedation has been to the point where the patient doesn't feel any pain, and that's where we shouldn't be. You know, the patient has to be able to feel pain. They have to have a response to pain, and they need to be verbally responsive when we ask them to open their mouth or to take a breath. Um, so. A lot of my medical colleagues would say, well, for longer cases, we need something a bit more specialized, a bit more solid. Um, I have a slightly different take on that, that in, in my opinion, when a patient is having something like uh, multiple implants, um, uh, immediate loading, that sort of thing, most of the really uncomfortable stuff for a patient happens fairly early on. Yeah. Um, you know, for an arch, I think it happens within that first hour. So the local anesthetic, for example, you know, if we can make that forgettable, and there's going to be a lot of local going on, a lot of jabbing, especially in the you know roof of the mouth or lingually where it's not particularly comfy, um, and then you know the, the osteotomies. You know, once we can get over that stage, the patient is then thinking, if they if they can think this, uh, you know, I can do this. Um, I've got over the worst of it. I'm quite comfortable. I'm absolutely fine. So quite often with those big cases, as long as we get some good sedation in the first hour, an hour and a half um, with midazolam, we can just really tail it off um, for the rest of the procedure. The patient doesn't need to be at that, um, you know, really as deep as we can get kind of level of sedation. Um, that's my personal philosophy, and I've enjoyed doing that um, with with full arch cases. Um, midazolam has quite a pronounced amnesia effect, which carries on can carry on for a couple of hours afterwards. So even if the patient's quite lightly sedated, you know, when you're suturing um, or when you're taking impressions, chances are they're not going to remember a great deal of that afterwards. So you don't have to keep pumping in. And with midazolam, if you um, if you keep doing top-ups, you get all these byproducts building up, which prolong the sedation. They make recovery more difficult. They make the patient more groggy. It takes them much longer to burn it off. They're um, very wobbly on their feet. And the more you give, the less effect it actually has. Yeah. So you're in danger of actually pushing things a bit too far because you're sort of willy-nilly doing doing topping up. Um, but um, Midazolam has has got a reputation in the past as being something that isn't easy to top up and to keep going for a prolonged session. But actually, if you're sensible and careful with it, um, and I kind of get together with, with my UK sedation colleagues and we regularly talk about this, it can be extremely effective. New drug, though, Remimazolam, is a bit of a game changer when it comes to these long cases. Remimazolam has very similar pharmacokinetics to propofol. So it's very quick in very quick out. Um, and in fact, you can put a patient on a pump and you can prolong a period of sedation for as, as long as you jolly well want. And it doesn't matter how regularly you're topping up, how much you're putting in, 
it has a consistent recovery of around 10 minutes. And you can get the patient from a conscious sedation level to up walking around having a conversation with you in under 10 minutes. Um, and it's an absolutely phenomenal drug. So when we're doing um, ultra short procedures, you know, um, you know, a simple extraction, we can get the entire appointment down to about 30 minutes and the patient's able to walk downstairs. You know, um, they're able to walk through a waiting room and look completely normal and not drunk at all. And and we're doing this up in a, in a clinic in Shrewsbury. We're just using Remy Maslam and we're doing 20, 30 minute cases um, with with tremendous results, but then also the 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 ultra long cases, so these sort of two, three, four hours, you know, with regular increments of Remy Mazalam, you can control the level of sedation. Um, so you may well want to in a, in a big appointment where you're doing uh, restorative work, say, and you want to check someone's occlusion, you can lighten off the sedation, give it about five minutes. The patient's able to. Um, understand you and move their, their 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 mandible around and get into the positions you want them, and then you can put them back down and carry on your treatment. Um, when it comes to the sort of stuff that you guys do, you know, after you've done an arch, we can actually pause and say to give it five minutes and say to the patient, "Do you need to go to the loo?" And if they say they do, they should be able to stand up and walk to the bathroom by themselves, come back in, and then we can resedate them. And then crack on with the lower arch. We don't have these byproducts that keep building and building up in the system. So for the sort of stuff that, that these sort of longer implant cases, it's way more controllable. We can control the depth. We can have it lighter if we want. We can have it deeper if we want. And we can turn it off when we want. We can restart it when we want, really depending on how the patient's getting on. And we still get a cracking level of amnesia at the same time. So it is, a, it is a complete game changer for us when we are doing these bigger cases. And if we're running clinics where we're trying to do things relatively efficiently. Um, so we're getting very, very excited about it. And it's now been approved for use um, by the ISCSD um, as a simple technique. So anyone experienced in midazolam can be using Remy Mazolam as well. So um, we're very excited about that too. So hopefully that answers some of your questions. I don't know. Did I... Maybe, Maybe I covered most of them. Yeah, it it it, it really does. Um, I think one of the things that I would say when I was on your course and you were showing, um, you were showing these real time videos of patients going from sedated to fully recovered in just a few minutes. It was it was just incredible. Um, yeah, because the issue that you have with with, with midazolam is the recovery is not only slower, but for some patients the recovery is really unclean. You know, it takes yeah. a long, long time to, for, for for them to for, for them to start to to feel better, and yeah. which is during that period you got to you got to monitor them much more closely as well until their stats start to normalize. So you know, yeah. ha- having access to a drug whereby you get you get the best of all worlds, I think. For what I do, the only downside to it is is you have to top it up quite regularly. But you know, it's yeah. for 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 like as. It, as you were saying, uh, Rob, for straightforward extractions, for straightforward restoration, anything along those lines, it's absolutely phenomenal. I do agree that it's, it's going to be a game changer. I can see it becoming, yeah. I can genuinely see it becoming the sedative of choice in the vast majority of cases. Yeah, yeah. I think if it's, a, if it's a case where you're going to need an hour, um, I would still go back to using midazolam. Um, because, you know, a one-shot bolus at the beginning, a titrated bolus, and then just letting it burn off, you know, 
the patient's going to be up and walking around 45, 50 minutes later. That's absolutely fine. Um, it's, yeah, certainly when we get these shorter cases. Um, and what, what I get very excited about is the patient outcomes, as you were saying. Um, and Roy and I, Roy Bennett and I talk about this on our course, that it is, it is a much cleaner form of sedative. It's much more of a surgical scalpel type of sedative that it's predictable, it's much more controllable. Um, and as I said, it doesn't matter how many top-ups you give, the patient is is not going to be heavy-headed, even if I've used some opiates as well. Um, they are, they're going to be walking around, they're going to be returning to their normal lives an awful lot quicker. Um, the, the safety profile is better than midazolam. It is way better than propofol. And actually, if we use it in a similar way to propofol, we're able to get similar kind of results, but with more amnesia than you get with propofol um, and with better safety margins as well. So we get less desaturation. We get less hypotension. Um, we actually get less of a reduction in pulse rate as well, which is quite weird. Um, pulse rates tend to be sort of fairly fairly stable throughout. Um, so the, the safety aspect for the patient, the safety aspects for them when they are discharged and can return to their normal lives. We're not worried about stairs. Um, it's also not weight dependent. So it doesn't matter how high the patient's BMI is, um, it still works in, in the same way. It is a, con a controllable and predictable way. And actually, hospital-wise, it's going to open up a whole world of sedation for patients with a BMI over 40 because it doesn't actually make any difference. You know, there's less cardio respiratory effects with it as well. There's fewer airway problems with it. Um, so I think it's going to it's going to enable a, a, a much larger uh, cohort of patients to be able to access sedation, um, as well as making things a lot better when it comes to sedating for um, multiple implant cases. Um, so yes, it is it is my sort of um, favorite subject to talk about, and as you know, I can talk about it for five hours pretty well straight. <laughs> with a lunch break um, well, I, I could talk about i can talk about implants for five hours straight it's fine you know i i bet you <laughs> could i bet you could <laughs> yeah. Rob, a couple more things i wanted yeah. to ask is 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 remy mazalam is it available globally or is it kind of like selected countries no what? no um so at the moment it's licensed for use and is available in the uk the u.s um it is not really available around europe very much um and not in australia but very very big in the far east so uh in japan and south korea and um where else was it um they are in china they are using it as a as a general anesthetic induction agent um and getting some amazing results with that um so it's very very popular in the far east but um the company uh, payon who make it are gradually trying to get licenses um, for the rest of the world. But it is getting used in, in the US quite a lot. But still, it is being used primarily in gastroenterology, endoscopies, um, and sort of fertility, uh, where you'd want a fairly short procedure time. It's not actually being used that much in dentistry. Um, and Roy and I have been very excited to get in on the sort of ground floor with this um, and really promote it in dentistry because actually the company weren't that fussed about going into the dentistry because they thought well the standards in the uk are so tight yeah. we're never going to get through to people we're never going to you know uh, the standards are never going to be relaxed enough that we can actually start using it and it was only two weeks ago that um the the, the, the committee 
made their decision on it, which was which was phenomenally good. Incredible. Um, that they were completely completely on the case. Um, so um, so yeah. So there are a lot of markets to 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 to, to break into yet. Um, I think Germany is on the cards. The, the I think there's also plans to license it for uh, GAs and for um, infusions and things um, in the UK at some point next year as well. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential. But but yeah, it's not not as used as much in dentistry. I'm part of a group, um, a sort of a UK US group um, of uh, sedationists who are. Um, collating the data from our cases that we're hopefully going to get published uh, in the States um, at some point this year, uh, looking at the safety profile of Remy Maslam. Um, and I know that in the UK, there are um, something like six or seven NHS trusts who now have it on their formulary. And there's a phase three study going on um, in London um, at the moment where we should hope to get some results in the next sort of 12 months or so. Um, looking at recovery rates, amnesia, um, cognitive function, you know, really close up detail of, of, um, Remy Mazalam versus Midazolam, um, on oral surgery clinics. And when that comes through, I think the take up rate is going to be an awful lot higher as well. Cause we're, we're relying on phase three studies from, from the US. Um, and to have a homegrown one in the UK, I think is going to be tremendous. But I think we're, we're, the UK really are leading, um, as far as dentistry and, and Remy Maslam goes. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's in my, in my travel box all the time. Um, I get very fractious when I start to think I'm going to run out of it. I sound like an addict. It's just not right. But, um, you know, I do tend to get a bit worried when I'm getting a bit low. Um, so it's becoming, it's becoming a mainstream drug of choice for me. Um, and it, it's it's replacing a lot of my midazolam use. It is, however, more expensive. Um, so I might have to charge you more, perhaps. Sorry, but um, it but it is incredibly worth it for the results that we can get. I think. Yeah. Um, if if we use it properly, it yeah. is it is stunning, absolutely stunning. Um, there's, there, there is another question I got for you as well, Robert. It just occurred to me maybe we should have got Roy on for this one because he's very very good at this type of stuff. <laughs> Is uh, when you're when, when we're talking about sedation, when we're sedating patients, the environment, the words that you use, you know, everything comes into play. The stronger your hypnotic suggestion and the calmer that you are, the the smoother the sedation is. Unfortunately, yeah. I haven't got the voice for that. I'm not as smooth as what Roy is. <laughs> uh, but could you just go over the importance of, uh, you know, inducing in a calm environment, making sure that there's uh, no noise, no clutter going on in the background? Could you just give us, like, your opinion and experience on that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I always say to people that I think um, what I do is so massively dependent on everybody else in the room and the room itself and the reception team the practice manager you know in the end my part is actually quite a small part um and there are certainly practices that i go to where i always find sedation easy and there are practices that i go to that i always find it tough and quite often it's because the rest of the team have no clue at all as to how best to talk to the patient how not to frighten them you know, th- those sorts of words that they can use and, and the environment as well. I work in some surgeries where it's, it's ice station zebra in there, you know, um, the patient's already shivering just because they're cold 
and their veins shut down and they're really uncomfortable throughout the whole uh, procedure. Um, I love the, um, the temperature of the, of the surgeries at Evo Dental and the fact that when the patients come in, um, you dim the lights and you put some nice chill out music on it. You know, um, the patient walks in, yes, they're faced with, with staff members and they might be gowned up, but the whole room feels very, very chill. That's, um, that's just my R&B playlist on, on Spotify. That's all it is. <laughs> it's, it's superb. It's, yeah. Rudy's is quite good as well, actually. Um, so, um, yeah, no, that's absolutely crucial. And, you know, as, as much as I enjoy my job and I like doing it and I think I'm quite well, reasonably good at it, it can be ruined extremely quickly. Um, the, the other thing that's a massive thing is that, um, a lot of dentists think that, uh, sedation gets rid of pain. Um, so when a patient's sedated, you can whack in your local, uh, fast pace, you know, and then they're surprised when the patient is squirming around, um, that practice in Cheltenham, um, the, the, the guy is, is extremely good at his locals and the patients hardly ever wince. They hardly ever move. There's some practices I work in where they are, well, the patient's out, we might as well just crack on and, and the patient's going to forget about it, I'm sure. And they and they do most of the time. Um, but you end up thinking, Joe, I'm I'm actually quite uncomfortable being in the room myself if you're if you're being like that. And I've worked with um a couple of oral surgeons who haven't been able to effectively anesthetize a patient and have turned around to me and go, Oh, cover your ears, and they grab hold of the tooth and they yank it out and the patient screams and you think this is just you know and yes they 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 may well forget it there's always a chance that they won't um but um you know that's not the way that i would like to be treated as a patient and you know i think all of us are a little bit you know uh, averse to seeing anyone suffer in our chair um i'm convinced a few dentists are not that averse but the majority is neon chests right They're, yeah it's the same guy isn't it <laughs> he tours around the country just putting his knees on people's chest <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's awful so um so so yeah so i think yeah you, you've still got to have um good dentistry you've still got to have cracking you know uh anesthesia if you don't want the patient to be writhing around um, you know, you want to make sure that they're numbed up properly. And, you know, it's not going to inspire much confidence in the people in the waiting room if they can hear someone screaming, you know. So, yeah, it's crucial to have the right environment. It's got to be nice and relatively warm or have a nice blanket that you can keep them warm. Um, it's got to be uh, nice, relaxing music. I do work in a few places that play Metallica. I don't think that really works. <laughs> uh, sorry, Metallica are a fine band, but, you know, it doesn't really work. Um, but also, you know, every part of the dental team has to realize what effect their words and their behavior has on on, on the anxiety and the, and the confidence of, of the patient coming in as well. Um, you know, it has an enormous effect. If, if the receptionist is just dreadful to somebody um, and they're using words like, you know, it, it hurt and pain and you know it's just needles yeah 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 so i'm just gonna put a massive needle in your in your gums um so so everybody has a has a part to play in making the environment you know really special for the patient and you know the vast majority of the practices i work at are completely clued up about this and are and are cracking um some of them and i'm not going to mention names some of them are really not um, and I find it a struggle um, to keep that patient happy. Um, so, yeah, so my my role of actually putting in drugs is actually quite a small part. Um, I think if you're doing, if you're an operator sedationist, if you're doing your own sedation, 
um, and you're in charge of that whole environment, I think there's a lot more responsibility on you. Um, I can't go around all day training an entire uh, dental team on on hypnosis and and NLP and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I have to just do my best with whoever's around. Um, but it tends to be anyway that the natural evolution of work is that those practices don't tend to call me in very much. The practices who are extremely loving and caring with their patients, they're the ones that that um, that realise these things and tend to get um, our team in quite a lot. So, um, so I can't really complain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is up to everybody to make it right for the patient. Um, and it's up to the patient's chaperone and family as well. Um, you know, so many times a chaperone will try and come in and then completely trounce the session um, by being overly motherly or, um, you know, or, or critical of what we're doing. Oh, you'll need to stop because they're not comfortable or whatever, you know, um, and having someone else in the room, you know, we don't like it, um, but sometimes you have to. And uh, sometimes they can make a right mess of stuff as well. So there's always loads and loads of variables. Um, and we have to adjust our sedation technique to try and help with some of those problems. Completely agree. Definitely. Um, the last thing that I wanted to uh, uh, that I wanted to cover, Rob, is um, obviously we don't know about the training pathways in other countries, but we certainly know about it in the UK. Is for those listening may want to get started in sedation and learn. Um, could you just outline the training pathway and like any? Uh, recommendations in terms of for me sedation is no no different from learning any other any other technique right you don't you don't learn to place implants and then you're you know what i was gonna say you don't learn to place implants then your second case is an all on four mine was <laughs> don't don't mm. don't do that you know, is you want to pick your uh, cases carefully to start with um, so you yeah. know, would, you, would you mind just offering your advice on that, please? Uh, so training pathways, there are quite a few methods in the UK. Um, so SARD, the Society of Advancement of Anesthesia and Dentistry, they're, the, they're one of the big training providers. They run courses a few times a year in, in London, I think in Manchester as well. Um, and uh, you've got online ones like Andrew Jones's course in Northern Ireland called Dental Sedation Courses. You've got my mate Roy Bennett up in uh, Liverpool who runs Mellow Dental. That's a fantastic uh, two-day sedation course. You've got Yorkshire, uh, Yorkshire Dental Training as well, uh, Manchester Sedation Training. Um, the crucial thing is with uh, sedation training for dentists and for nurses is that uh, you have your, your theoretical training, um, but then you need to have 20 cases mentored uh, before you can then go on and do uh, independent practice. That's 10 cases of intravenous. If you're going to do RA, that's uh, 10 cases of RA. So you need to get somebody like me in who's a, a, an approved mentor um, or, or come and join us um, and to, to do your 20 cases under supervision. Um, yes, very much so in those 20 cases, it is best to choose the simple ones first. Because um, what I've found over the years is sedation isn't just about drugs. It isn't a tick box exercise. You know, Remy Mazalan, for example, has got a fairly standardized dosing regime, but even that changes with different people. Um, so it is a very, very personalized experience. And it is not just drugs. It is how you're, um, you're, you're not just observing the mouth. You are observing the airway. Yes, you're observing the chest. You're observing the entire patient so it feels a lot more medical 
than yeah. when you're, say, doing a, a filling because it's a whole patient experience. And you've also, as you're saying, you, you're looking at the, the way you're behaving, your language, how you're talking to people, how you're relating to people. Um, and if you're not warm, if you're cold, if you are um, not approachable, um, then patients aren't going to respond uh, very well to that. Um, so, yes, definitely picking simple cases, simple dentistry, um, but patients who aren't massively phobic because often they can be really quite tough to treat. Um, I would certainly start treating patients who are able to get into the chair absolutely fine. Patients who've maybe said, um, I've had an extraction in the past. Yes, knee on the chest. Um, I didn't enjoy it and I want this one to be better. Um, patients who've been able to have um, other sort of parts of routine dentistry done without sedation. Um, you know, patients who've been able to go to a hygienist regularly without being sedated. Um, they are quite good patients to treat because they are used to being in the chair and having hands in mouth and tools in mouth or whatever. And if you can cope with a scale and polish, you can cope with just about anything, in my yeah. opinion. Um, it's one of the hardest things to sedate for. <laughs> um, if, you, if you're not going to numb the patient, it's awful. I hate it. Um, so, um, Do what I need to say the teeth out. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. It's much, it's much easier putting a tooth in than taking it out yeah. as well. Okay. So any sign of perio, yeah, titanium deficiency, yeah. sorted. Um, so absolutely, yeah, you've got to you've got to start pretty easily. Um, stuff that isn't going to require a lot of uh, emotional management and and patient psychological management, um, where you can just focus on getting the dentistry done, but also you know the whole patient approach. Um, and and really, the, the, the preoperative assessments are the act. The absolute key, in my opinion, and in most people's opinion, to getting it right. And it's not just is the patient suitable for sedation. It is what are we, can we predict from our preoperative assessment how this patient is going to respond? How are they going to get on? You know, and not just that, but also reducing patients' expectations. Because we'll quite often get patients in who say, oh, I just want to be asleep. I don't want to know anything. And we have to deprogram them and say, this is not a general. You are not asleep. You might nod off, you might snore a bit, but you are not asleep. And if you can reduce the patient's expectations enough that, as I said earlier, when you just get the first little bit in and they're starting to chill out, you will use a lot less um, sedative yeah. to get them to a, to a happy place. Yeah. Um, and quite often, we try and put in more sedative to try and combat the fear. And sometimes that has a paradoxical effect. It has a reverse effect and the patient gets more agitated. Yeah. So the, the, the less drug that we can use to get the patients to the point of a local and to make sure that they're happy when they leave, um, the, the better. Um, so yes, the patient management, expectations management, and using a preoperative assessment to predict as best as we can how we think the patient is going to be. Um, that's, I think, the absolute key to, to choosing your cases. And then when you're like me and you're you know, almost 20 years down the line of doing sedation, then, um, you know, you come across all sorts of fun stuff um, and you sort of muddle through and you get there in the end. Fantastic. Rob, it's, it's been great. Thank you so much. It's uh, It's been a good refresher for me. I wish I could have worn myself a CPD points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you not get anything? Though? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Again, if you wouldn't mind uh, just yeah. uh, um, explaining to everybody uh, what your um, 
if there were, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, best way is to visit our website, which is UKSedation.com. Um, there is one of those awful chatbot things on the website, but it does actually come through to me. Um, or you can drop me an email at info at UK Sedation. But it's all, all the information. There's loads of FAQs. There's loads of resources on our website. What we've done purposefully with our booking system is that once someone's registered with us and we've had chats and we've decided how it's all going to work, um, then you can actually book online in our live diary. So you've got your diary in front of you on SOE or whatever, or dentally, and then you've got our diary. And then you can see, well, Rob's free or Angela's free on this date. And so are we. And then you can just book the entire session. Um, and we just come for one patient. Um, you don't book us for an entire session, pay for an entire session and have to fill it up with patients. We will just travel to you for one patient. Um, and sometimes it's for an hour um, and sometimes it's for four or five hours. Yep. Um, but you, you just book it online. You don't have to get in contact with us when you need to have us in. And receptionists can handle all that. And then, you know, lot, most of the practices I work at, um, the dentist will just turn around to receptionists and say, can you book the sedation? And that's all they need to say. Once they touch the patient, obviously, um, they just need to say to the receptionist, sedation, please. And then the reception just does it all. Um, So we've tried to make it as simple as possible because I've worked in practice for many years and I don't want the hassle, the headache of constantly having these things in the back of my head or having to do lists and having to chase things up all the time. It's much easier to say, somebody else, can you just sort that out for us? And then we take over, we get the consent organized we chat with the patient, we get them into a, into the right mindset, hopefully. We greet them then on the day, we sort them out, we talk to them afterwards. Um, yeah, so we'll handle everything from there, really. And then the dentistry becomes a small part of it. Fantastic. That's the easy bit. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much. It's uh, You're welcome. It's nearly nine o'clock. We've been, we've been going on best part of an hour for this, doesn't feel like an hour. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, rambling it. Rambling okay. it's, it's, been, it's been fantastic yeah. information. It really has been great. Um, Titani Nerds, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I will be recording uh, the next podcast very, very soon. Uh, just before we wrap up, you've heard me speak on a number of occasions about the Academy of Implant Excellence uh, online course. Uh, and you've heard me saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, it's here. We're starting to record next week. Uh, I've got a lot of delegates uh, who signed up already. We are excited. We've got some fantastic stuff coming up, uh, and I'm 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 so so hyped to be able to 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 be able to teach uh, dental implants. And off the back of that as well, um, I am looking at doing a significant uh, um, significant increase in the amount of mentoring that I'm doing. Uh, because I've got a lot of people turning around and saying to me, Pav, you know what, theory is one side, but implants are hands-on. Can you teach us to do the hands-on? So I've got a number of mentoring options. Probably the most intense is the uh, one-to-one mentoring. And whether you're a newbie or whether you already place implants and you want to upskill, if you're a newbie in the right setting and you've never placed an implant before, I will get you proficient in placing implants in the straightforward cases within six months. Uh, if you're already placing implants and you want to start doing immediates, you want to do, do, start doing grafting, sinus lift, 
we can you know we can we can definitely definitely push your skills and this isn't you come to me this is me come to you because again a big issue that i've uh, spoken to about a lot of uh, to a lot of people about a lot of people turn around and say to me power really want to do this patients keen to have it done they don't want to come all the way to your practice they're quite happy here so this new service that i'm up, uh, that i'm offering uh, will be for me to come to your practice so if i can help in any way uh, uh, please 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 do let me know um and uh i just you know i just you know as rob said he could speak for five hours about sedation i could speak for hours and hours about this you guys who know me is you know i live and breathe this stuff it's absolutely fantastic so the can more- i can i say pav go on can i <clears throat> um having witnessed i mean i used to do simple implants but having witnessed uh so many uh cases now of doing implants um my implant knowledge has has, has just astronomically grown and I think there is nothing better than being in the room with an experienced implant placer and asking questions and finding out their rationale behind and how they're planning stuff. Um, so I think that's absolutely fantastic what you're doing. Thank you. um, and we need an awful lot more of that in, 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 in all aspects of dentistry, but especially with implants. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and that, and that's why you know I'm I'm passionate about implants. I'm passionate about teaching. It's just kind of like a natural progression for me. So it's 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 absolutely fantastic. The problem that I have with one to one because it's so intense, I can't take on absolutely everybody. So there is an interview process I will be putting people through to make sure that they're suitable. And then above and beyond that, there will kind of like be a a rolling waiting list, effectively. Um, but I'm so excited for this. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. So, Rob, thank you so much for mm. joining us. Really, really, really appreciate it. Um, You're very welcome. I'm sure we'll be working together again very, very soon. And I, sorry, I couldn't. Uh, I wasn't there last Friday. Uh, that was certainly <laughs> one I, I wanted to do my, uh, myself as a, a, a you know placing zygos. But hey, I was in another practice doing singles instead. Yeah, uh, Ru- Rudy did fine. Yeah, okay. yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knows what I he's looked doing. after. Yeah. Him. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Titanium nerds, thank you very much for listening, and we will speak to you all again soon.